So good morning, listeners, and welcome to another edition of Common Sea Inspirations. This is a podcast uh, from Common Sea Inspiration Studio here in Ada County Limerick. And this, the 20th of uh, February, it's the seventh Sunday in ordinary time. My name is John Keeley, and help me to present the programme again today, Sean Am- Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we doing? We're good. Thanks a lot for joining me, Shane. And now you'll join me, as we always do, in welcoming our listeners who are housebound and lonely and struggling uh, so in some way today, in some part of the world today, because we do have a variety of listeners listening to us from various parts of the world. And also our listeners who support us each week in prayer. Thank you so much indeed for that. Our podcast includes interviews and five topics, inspirational music and reflecting on the Sunday Gospel. All of our podcasts can be heard at comeandseeinspirations.buzzsprout.com on our blog, as uh, older programs, on our blog, sacredspace102.blogspot.com Spotify, iTunes, and of course on our Facebook page at Come and See Inspirations. You can contact us if you, if, if you wish, and please do so, by texting 87 That's 87 or email comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. Now at this point of the programme, as usual, we'll invite Shane to share with us some science for the week. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. So this week we are entering into the seventh week in ordinary time. It's hard to believe, actually, folks, that we're looking down the door of Lent um, the week after next, uh, just to kind of bring your focusing your minds on things liturgical kind of quickly. Uh, We've just closed the door on Christmas. Um, So for those of us praying the Psalter on week three, so, saints for the coming week, Monday the 21st of February is the feast day of St. Peter Damien. Peter died in 1072, very much associated as a very pious and holy man. Um, uh, youngster, uh, as a youngster, his parents died in impoverished nobility, they're described. He was brought up by his brother, um, and called Damien, from which he took the name. And he entered, he entered the Benedictines and as a monk in 1035, very much renowned for trying to encourage reform, improving life with the monastery, and became a great counsellor post. Um, he was eventually appointed the Cardinal Bishop of Ostia and uh, very much known as a disciplinarian and a reformer uh, in terms of things around that time, including writing numerous sermons, books, biographies, etc. And he died in 1072 at Ravenna in Italy. Tuesday the 22nd is the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Now, this is an unusual one. So we mentioned the Chair of St. Peter in January when we were talking to Martin Brown and the, um, the, the week of prayer for Christianity, which is bookended by the old feast of the Chair of St. Peter and the conversion of St. Paul. So the Chair of St. Peter that's celebrated in January is associated with Rome. The Chair of St. Peter that we celebrate in February is associated with Antioch because Pope uh, St. Francis, or St. Peter rather, was said to have been the first bishop of Antioch as well. Now, obviously we're not actually celebrating a chair. It's, it's celebrating or it's signifying the unity of the church and the unity of faith um, and the teaching of the apostles. Um, now, for those that might be interested, 
you when you go into St. Peter's, um, there is the altar of the chair. And that is the big, huge bronze, bronze altar with um, the figure of a chair, uh, which is literally at the top of St. Peter's. So it's behind the papal high altar. And it has that beautiful, people might remember, that beautiful uh, stained glass window of the dove, which overlooks the back of the wall of St. Peter's Basilica. So that's the altar of the chair. So that's where we celebrate on Tuesday, the 22nd. On Wednesday, the 23rd, it's the Feast of St. Polycarp. Now, Polycarp's an interesting one. He's one of the early apostolic fathers. He's a martyr. Uh, so He was a convert and a disciple of St. John the Apostle. He was a friend of St. Ignatius of Antioch. He was a teacher of St. Irenaeus of Lyon. Uh, he was the Bishop of Smyrna, which is modern-day Izmir in Turkey, and very much uh, recognized for his leadership, particularly in the churches of Asia Minor. Um, he Only one of his letters survived, which is a letter he wrote to the churches of Philippi in Macedonia. Uh, he's a martyr for the. He's a martyr because he was. He, he died for the faith at the age of eighty-six. They tried to burn him alive in the stadium in Smyrna, but it didn't quite work, and he was finally killed by a dagger, and then his body was burnt. Uh, the acts of Polycarp's martyrdom are the earliest preserved reliable account of Christian martyr's death, and he died in one five five A.D. Thursday, the twenty-fourth, is the feast day of Saint Peter the Librarian. All we know about Peter is that he is a martyr and he was burned alive in 303 in Nicomedia. Um, so that's all we know about Peter the librarian. Then Friday the 25th. Now, I went slightly further afield for this one. It's Blessed Mariam Vital, Vitalil is her name. She's a religious sister. She's Indian, uh, as in from the country of India, I beg your pardon. And uh, she was baptized at the age of seven, or seven days rather. She joined the Franciscan Clarist congregation, taking the name Rani Maria. And she made her solemn vows in 1980. She was a missionary in the Diocese of Binjnor in Uttar Pradesh in India, uh, where she worked, where her work with the poor put her into conflict with moneylenders, landlords, and criminal elements who exploited them. And she was beaten to death on a bus on the 25th of February, 1995. Um, the guy that killed her was convicted, arrested, convicted, and sentenced to life imprisonment. He was released in 2006. And he actually attended her beatification ceremony, uh, which was led, which was approved by Pope Francis in 2017, which actually happened in India. So that's uh, one of our Indian blessings, uh, Mariam Vatalil, I think is how you pronounce her name. Uh, then finally, on Saturday the 26th, we have the feast day of Blessed Robert Jury. Now, he's one of the um, martyrs, one of the English martyrs, and uh, he was, a, a, uh, what's the word? He was a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's a martyr for the faith. Um, in, he died in 1607 at Tyburn. He studied at the English College in France and then studied at the English College in uh, Valladolid in Spain in 1590. He was ordained in 1593. He returned to England in 1593. Um, he was asked to sign the oath acknowledging the leadership of James I as the authority over spiritual matters in England. He refused to do so, so he was arrested for the crime of being a priest in 1606. And he was hung, drawn, and quartered at Tyburn 
on the 26th of February in 1607. He was beatified by John Paul II, even, in 1987. So that's Robert Drury, whose feast day we celebrate on the 26th of February. It's a lot of martyrs this week, John. I hope people didn't go too much off their breakfast. No, but in all fairness, in all fairness, we do need to hear about these, about these wonderful people who have shown us so much example by doing what they did and really uh, helping us to keep the faith that we got today. So we thank them indeed for, for what they've done. And in all fairness, you're doing a pretty good job now in sanitising it. We didn't get too many details. Thank you very much, Neil, for that, Sean. OK, just uh, one little notice, uh, two, actually one or two, um, just to bring to the listeners' attention. I mentioned last week um, the FCJ, Spirituality uh, House Centre there in, in County Clare. They continue to have their meditation every eleven, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, 11 a.m. Uh, this is online. Uh, you can get the Zoom contact by info at fcjspiritualityhouse.ie. And that's organised by a good friend, Noreen Lynch. Noreen, she's, she's director of the FCJ Spiritual House and has worked in the diocese, parish and spirituality centres for almost 30 years. Beautiful uh, beautiful time if people have that time. 11am for half an hour on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. In part two of our podcast today, we continue with another reflection uh, presented at Knox Ryan Symbolised on Synodality. Last week, we had a wonderful uh, presentation by Father Eamon Conway, who spoke on synodality. What does it mean? Today, Julia Kavanagh continues uh, with a talk on the topic, synodality, how does it work? So we'll listen to that in part two. But just before that, we again uh, continue our prayer space. And again, it's taken from Vision Be Inspired. It's a YouTube channel from Father Flan Lynch, who's a Capuchin priest. Since 1995, he's been writing and delivering an economical spiritual program called Vision, and he's given seminars in Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, and England, amongst others. So our prayer prayer space this week, we again again visit Vision Be Inspired, YouTube channel by Father Flan, and the meditation is entitled today, Who Am I? So join us again in part two to listen to Julie Kavanagh giving her reflection on synodality. If only we knew in our hearts the extent of our God-given beauty and goodness. If only we could glimpse the enormous love and appreciation Jesus has for us. In this meditation, we will go deep into the heart to experience something of the greatness God has put in each and every person. We prepare for our meditation. We let go and relax. gently. We smile in our hearts 
Jesus loves us more than we could ever imagine. I 
ceaseless word of love spoken by God. I am a priceless word of love spoken by God.
So welcome back again to part two of our Come and See Inspirations podcast for this week. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. Last week we began a three-part series of reflections which were presented at Knox Ryan in December last on the topic of synodality, which of course is the focus of a synod being held in Rome in 2023. This week, Julie Kavanagh presents a second talk, and this is entitled Synodality. Does it really matter? So let's listen to this. You're, um, good evening, everyone. I'm delighted to be here with you in Knock, uh, and thank you for the kind welcome, uh, Father Richard, as, as well. Um, I want to say a special welcome and hello to the people who are joining us via live stream as well. So as Father Richard said, uh, this night follows on from the input given by Father Eamon Conway last week on synodality. And the question that he responded to last week was, what does it mean? And tonight I'll be addressing the question, synodality, how does it work? The how question suggests a degree of practicality and tangibility, and hopefully there will be some of that in what is to follow in the next 30 minutes or so. So as a middle child tonight, the how sits in a healthy relationship and an essential relationship with its siblings, what and why. So although working last Thursday night, I was very happy to be able to catch up with what Father Eamon said on the NOC website. In his talk, he reminded us of one essential characteristic of synods. And I think Father Richard has already referred to it. They are essentially prayerful gatherings. So it seems that the most appropriate thing to do as we set out in our time together tonight is to pray the prayer of the Synod, inviting God and God's Spirit to journey with us through the rest of the evening. So I'm going to invite you here in Knock and all of you who are joining us via our live stream to pray with me the prayer of the Synod. And in its very open lines, it refers to us as standing. So I'm going to invite you here uh, to stand. And together we pray. We stand before you, Holy Spirit, as we gather together in your name. With you alone to guide us, make yourself at home in our hearts. Teach us the way we must go and how we are to pursue it. We are weak and sinful. Do not let us promote disorder. Do not let ignorance lead us down the wrong path nor partiality influence our actions. Let us find in you our unity so that we may journey together to eternal life and not stray from the way of truth and what is right. All this we ask of you who are at work in every place and time in the communion of the Father and the Son forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. So having prayed this prayer together, I invite you here or wherever you are watching from to ponder what we have just prayed. Linger on that text for a moment, paying attention perhaps to a particular phrase or word that calls out to you from the prayer. In this moment, where is the spirit prompting your attention in this prayer? Take a moment to consider it and to store it in your heart.
So carry that line or that phrase with you for the rest of our time together. Just for myself, I want to highlight maybe the phrases at the very beginning of the prayer. Because the prayer announces from that very beginning that we stand before the Holy Spirit. Standing is a resurrection pose, a pose of a baptized people. We lift up our hearts to God in prayer. We stand shoulder to shoulder together before our God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As church, as baptized, we go to God together. And we do so admitting that as followers of Jesus, we are a people gifted, inspired, and led by the Spirit. We are a Pentecost people. It is the Spirit who leads us and guides us along the right path, who brings us to where we need to go. So as we begin to explore and to discern how we do synodality tonight, let us trust in the guidance of the Spirit. This is the Spirit in whom we gather together. So again, remember to hold on to that word and that phrase. You, you might want to share it later. Last week, Father Eamon reminded us very succinctly of the meaning of the word synod. Do you remember he reminded us of those two Greek words, sin and hodos, simply meaning to journey together. But not only to journey together on any random path, but to put our footsteps firmly down on the path, the way that God calls us to, discovering this way together. And it's that journeying together discerning, praying together, and discovering together that synodality is about. Central to the journey and the actions of the journey are prayer, encounter, listening, and relationship. In looking to the how question tonight, the synod logo itself tells us something about the style of this journeying together. So let's take a moment to look at that logo the image of the logo here from the Universal Synod, because it tells us something of the how of synodality, of journeying together. Is there anything striking you about the image? Anybody in the room here wants to say anything, I can repeat it for the people at home. Is there anything that strikes you about what you see there? Inclusivity. And how is the inclusivity communicated to you, do you think? Yeah, there's, there's a unity. There, now, is there a uniformity? No, there's a difference, but there's a distinct unity. They're going in a similar direction, aren't they? They're following a similar path. They're, do you remember our standing shoulder to shoulder in support of one another as a people? not as a kind of a random individuals, but a collected gathering of people. We see a very striking image there, um, the orange image. And in the, uh, the logo explanation itself, it tells us that that image is of a tree. If you think of the tree of life, the tree of the cross, the tree of our redemption, our salvation, it expresses a deep vitality and hope that comes through the cross of Christ. And that tree carries what? We might see it as a sun image. 
We might see it as Eucharist. The Eucharist that shines like a sun. We see the expanse of the arms of the tree. And there's a movement in the tree, almost like that rush and movement of the spirit itself. And as somebody here said, we see a unity. We see a gathering of people going, setting out in a common direction. There are people on the move. Do you remember Father Eamon last week spoke about a pilgrim church? And pilgrim people, the thing they do best is walk. So we are a people uh, on the move. Um, synod, walking together. So the people are united by that common dynamic, energized by the spirit, nourished by the Eucharist, that leads them onto the path to follow Christ, as followers of Christ's way. And we see in the, that gathering of 15 individuals, we see the diversity of color, um, of bright color, of joy that should be at the heart of our church. We see an intergenerational church. We see a church of difference and unity. There's no hierarchy there, is there? Though there's quite clearly the image of a bishop. And the bishop there is at the center of the people. And in fact, in some ways, this image reminds us that very often it is the unexpected who can lead us in the church. Who's leading this entourage? The children. So led by a child, you know, so that part of our synodal journey is allowing ourselves to be led by some people that we mightn't expect to be led by to listen out for the voices of others that we may not necessarily usually turn towards uh, for inspiration, for signs of the Spirit. So we are all on the same footing in this image. This is an image of church, a vision of synodality. Notice in the logo as well, the three words, communion, participation, and mission. These three words again characterize a church journeying together. Communion, where the people share in the life with God, share in God's life, and share that life with one another. Participation. As the baptized, we are all called to take part in the life of the church, to build up one another in the church. We mightn't all do it in the same way, but every one of us is called to take our part. And every one of us as a church are sent out, are missioned to bring the good news of our faith to others. So those hallmarks of communion, of participation and mission are vital to a church that is journeying together. But we have these two words, synod and synodality. I think Father Eamon showed us last week that we can easily identify synod as an event, whereas synodality is a way of being. But, and this is an important but, the event of a synod itself can be a way of discovering how to be a church that journeys together, how to be a church that announces the gospel in that journey. The experience of a synod itself can be a lesson in the doing of synodality. There's that maxim that we, we learn by doing. 
Speaking to journalists as recently as last Monday on the flight home from Greece, the Pope said this, spoke very briefly about the synodal process, and he said, we are journeying to have the habit of synodality, of walking together. So in, convo in convoking this synod itself, Pope Francis is perhaps opening up for all of us as a church an opportunity to consciously cultivate a habit of synodality itself, a habit of being church in a particular way, a particular style. Now, the Pope is a very wise man, and he knows that cultivating this habit and doing this habit is not an easy thing. He says, when the Lord is asking of us, or sorry, what the Lord is asking of us is already in some sense present in the very word synod, journeying together. That's laity, pastors, the Bishop of Rome, everyone. And journeying together is an easy concept to put into words, but not so easy to put into practice. But with the convoking of this synod, that's exactly what Pope Francis is asking us to do, to put into practice the doing of synodality. The task is to create, to explore, and to move forward in this habit of being together. And so the synod as an event leads us to an ongoing journey. And again, one of the tools that we've been given in our preparation for the synod is, is a preparatory document, but also a handbook. You know, as a, not a rule book, a guide. A guide for us as a church looking towards this process. And in that, um, in that guide, it says the following. He says, it says that this is an opportunity to ground ourselves in an experience of authentic listening and discernment. It's not to be a one-time experience of synodality. You know, we're not to put in all this effort and then walk away as if it never happened. Rather, it's a means to discern together how to move forward on the path towards being more synodal church in the long term. That's, that's our task. As we're all aware, in some ways, in the Irish church, what we're about at the moment is the weaving together of two synodal processes. In March 2020, the Irish bishops announced their intention to set out on a synodal pathway over the next five years towards some form of synodal assembly. This sits alongside the reality of the official processes of the Universal Synod, which is, was opened last October 9th and is due to culminate in a synod in Rome in 2021. Now, is this unfortunate timing on our part or is it something more in the line of providence? Which do you think? I think the more we have uh, rested with the reality we find ourselves in, the more we can see it as providence. I think we've quickly begun to recognize that the Universal Synod actually sets us on a very good pathway, a very good foundation for what we're about and what we're undertaking in the Irish Church. So what we are called to do for the Universal Synod actually feeds directly into and shapes our own path towards a national assembly. In fact, it facilitates a very healthy first phase of our own process. So let's take a closer look maybe at those two synodal journeys and we'll see closely or more close clearly their relationship to one another. So you can see that there, that on the top line there, you have the Irish journey. 
And alongside our own journey, we're undertaking a journey with the Universal Synod pathway as well. And we can see in the timeline that our Irish journey started back in Easter, uh, when the Irish bishops looked for submissions for people on, you know, what methods should we use? How, who should we should be reaching out to in our own synodal pathway? And between Easter and Pentecost, they had over 500 submissions answering that question. And now we are at our second phase in the Irish synodal pathway. And this is a, a phase of listening, prayer, reflection, trying to draw out the themes that are at the heart of the Irish church at the moment. But if we look underneath that green box and those, that green arrow, it actually coincides directly with the two years of the Universal Synod. Can you see that there? So it's, it's actually coinciding. And in some respects, the task for our own Synod is exactly the task of the Universal Synod. It's, it's that, that listening, that deep listening and, and discernment. So in this timeline, we find ourselves in the initial phase of our Irish pathway and simultaneously alongside the diocesan phase of our universal one. And happily, as I say, they have a shared fundamental task, a task of deep listening to the people of God in our diocese. And this listening will be foundational for all that is to come. Listening to the Holy Spirit, to one another, to the signs of the times. So if we look at um, even the Universal Synod, we'll see that what the phase we're at now is that across the world, local churches, local dioceses are being asked to consult with the people of God, to bring the question of the Universal Synod to the people themselves. So if there's a particular question at the heart of the Universal Synod. And it is a synod on synodality. It's a lot, of, a lot of, uh, of, of those words flying around. But at the heart of the universal synod is the question, a synodal church in announcing the gospel journeys together. And the question is, how is this journeying together happening in your local church today? What steps does the Spirit invite us to, to take in order to grow in our journeying together? It's an experiential question, isn't it? It's what is the experience of being church, of being this style of church? What is that like in our own local parish, diocese, community? Where do we live it deeply? Where have we yet to attain it? You know, what, what, what is that real experience? And the guide tells us that nothing, there's no limit on the conversation. You know, we're not to filter or... Um, uh, sanitize the conversation. We want all pe people's genuine experience to come forward in answering these questions. So that universal question sits alongside the Irish question, which is, what does God want from the church in Ireland at this time? And that could be paraphrased as well as, what is God saying to the church in Ireland at this time? And it strikes me that the answer to that question will get there quicker if we've asked that first universal question as well. So this is, the, it, it, this is the time to sit in that first question of how are we journeying together? So something you might like to, to know, I'd say, is, you know, 
how is the journey so far in Ireland? You know, because we haven't really had too much conversation or too much national conversation on the synod and a synodal pathway. Uh, those of us engaged closely with it probably have been talking about it a lot more. But in the everyday stuff of parishes, has it come on the horizon yet? So let's see what's in place so far in the context of Ireland. Um, as I said, there's already been submissions on the method for the Irish pathway. Um, also, the uh, Irish bishops have put in place a task group, and that task group um, is, is a, a group of four people, one person from each of the four provinces, uh, three women and a, 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 a man. So we have uh, Father Eamon Fitzgibbon uh, from the Tume Diocese, I'm sorry, from, Cashel, sorry, from the Cashel province. Um, and we have Sheena Darcy from the Tume province. We have Janet Forbes from the Armagh province. And we have, um, oh, her name has suddenly gone straight out of my head now, uh, from uh, Dublin. Uh, I'll, I'll remember her name soon and I'll, I'll reply. So apologies for there. But we have somebody from the Dublin diocese uh, as well. So those four people... Uh, they're bringing their expertise, their variety of gifts and backgrounds, and their geographical knowledge of, of the country um, to, do, to lay the groundwork and the foundations for our uh, National Synod. Um, also alongside that task group, you have a steering committee, of, of which I, I'm one of the members, and um, Father Stephen Farraher, close by in Ballyhonis, is, is another member, a familiar uh, person to people here in Knock. Um, so that steering committee is a voluntary body of lay men, women, deacons, bishops, priests, working together, chaired by Nicola Brady, uh, with co-chairs Andrew Callaghan and Bishop Brendan Leahy. And our task is, together with the task group itself, to help plan and oversee the first steps along the synodal pathway. But vital partners in all of this are the diocesan delegates. And the diocesan delegates are people in local dioceses who have been asked by their bishop to be the link between um, the diocese and the Irish church and also a link between the Irish church and the parishes of the diocese. So bringing the synod into the local context. Um, and so it, some dioceses are just one person, other dioceses have maybe two, our own diocese, I'm one of three uh, delegates, myself and uh, another woman, Jean Roach, and Father Lee Morgan are, are our, our uh, diocesan delegates. So our, our task is really to make the listening process happen, or help to do as much as we can on the ground with others in partnership um, to facilitate listening on, on the ground across our diocese. And we do that uh, in our own context and in many places by even putting together a synod committee, you know, so that again, we're working in partnership with others. So we can see that across the country, there's the beginnings of local prayerful preparation and planning. You know, on the 17th of October, most of our bishops opened the uh, synodal process in prayer and that was replicated in parishes uh, but also uh, advent for many dioceses is a time of you know praying that synod prayer and really asking that we set out on a strong pathway together so the diocesan delegates again one of their things apart from um, facilitating and encouraging those local conversations at some point a, a synthesis of what is shared you know, of what is uh, shared and, and what we hear in those conversations needs to put, to get, put together in a report. 
So part of the work of the diocesan delegates is to finally draft a report that will go to the conference which represents what this diocese wants to say to the Irish Church as, as part of its contribution. And in order to do that, it's kind of envisaged that there be some form of pre-synodal gathering in the diocese to help that discernment. So what it looks like then from a diocesan point of view is that there's a time of preparation and then a time of active listening. You know, so some places will be doing that active listening in January, February. Our own diocese, you know, we're going to have a listening Lent and just do that listening during Lent. And then once that listening is done, we need to harvest it and gather it into some form of synthesis. And the synthesis isn't just about, you know, a summary of what was said by most people. It wasn't, it's not about bringing the dominant voice, but it's around discerning in prayer with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, what nuggets, what information, what sharing, what experiences needs to be brought. Uh, to the national conversation. And in turn, then, the Irish bishops will uh, collate a, um, or, a report for the Irish church. So that's, um, that's what we're about in the first phase. And how we go about this first phase is very much helped. Uh, again, we have, uh, uh, I suppose, the, the, the guide itself, the handbook, would tell us that in this first phase, listening is the method, discerning is the aim, and participation is the path. So really what we're about in this first phase is trying to get as many people as possible to participate and to create different forums where we can listen to people's experiences and, and share them. So again, the first question might be, well, who can participate and who are we called to listen to and what forums might we use? And the answer to that is simply, you know, who? Everybody, all the baptized. Uh, it's not kind of, you know, the, the regulars, the, the people who will always be at a meeting. We want to hear their voices too, but we need to go to the margins. And this document and Pope Francis is very strong on reaching out to those who we normally don't include in these conversations. And it's not that we do it willfully, but we forget. Or we're so, it's easier to gather with the people who always gather, but we also have to be attentive to those who aren't normally at those conversations. So all those people, particularly those persons who might risk being excluded from these typical conversations, um, and, and we have different people there, particular attention to people on the margins. Uh, no one, and this is a very strong statement in it, no matter their religious affiliation, should be excluded insofar as they want to help the church on her synodal journey of seeking what is good and true. So we need an honesty in our conversations, and uh, an honesty, but an honesty that is seeking the good of the church, that is seeking to build up the church. You know, we, we don't want to set out to destroy the church, and, and that'll never happen, but we need uh, to, to allow that freedom uh, of engagement. So really the aim is to create effective ways of reaching out to as many people as possible. And that's part of the task of maybe the local diocesan committee. Uh, and then within parishes, um, local parishes will be invited to create their own listening forums with the support of the diocese, uh, who in turn have the support of the, those members of the task group, those, those four people. Um, so who might that include? You know, again, we have, uh, we have to look at our own cultural context. So the conversation in, in Irish society right now, uh, in, in Knock, in the Diocese of Tume, you know, who are the people living here? 
Um, what is the, you know, the cultural context, the socio-economic context? Um, who do we need to include in our conversations, who we might have forgotten about in the past? Uh, what about our young people, our young parents, women, uh, the, the homeless, people, Catholic, many Catholics living in direct provision who are part of our community? Um, all those kind of, of, of people. Um, Again, we journey with other Christians. What is our journey into God like with other Christians? So we reach out from an ecumenical point of view as, as well. Uh, our religious communities, our ecclesial movements. You know, there are so many people uh, that we can draw on. Our parishioners, you know, the affiliated, but also the disaffiliated. The ones we know, you know, are there, but no longer with us. You know, to reach out again in welcome to those people. And how might it happen? Again, these are just some ideas, um, and I think Rome is very conscious of, the, um, of, of COVID, and you know, that, that creates its own challenges and different ways. And I suppose one of the things that it did was uh, Rome extended the timeline for the listening process. Originally, we had to have it all done by April and the report finalized by April, and now we have until August. But as a, from a diocesan point of view, we're really probably talking about, you know, uh, having the work done by Pentecost at the very latest, I'd say, and it might, for some dioceses, it'll be before that. So how might we do this listening? Again, we're used to kind of the local parish meetings, the parish assemblies, but also we might need smaller local groups or focus groups that, you know, gather particular groupings of people together in, in a way that they will feel comfortable with. We might need to consciously move out of the church buildings uh, into the shopping centres. You know, I hear of one diocese setting up kind of pop-up cafes, you know, that they can have a, a conversation with people. Uh, online gatherings, you know, Zoom get meetings with breakout rooms, um, self-guided online activities, uh, questionnaires, uh, youth walks, uh, you know, the, the, sometimes it's the story along a pilgrimage that really is important. You know, why we could have uh, diocesan walks or parish walks with stations to kind of gather uh, the conversation. So all different kinds of things. The submissions can be art and music. You know, young children can be consulted and, you know, uh, through art, you know, through that medium as well uh, as, as just the, the, the written word. And again, what are we asking? The, the question is, that it's an experiential question. How is this journeying together happening in the local church today? And what steps in turn is it inviting us to? And there again, you know, our guidance is, you know, to go with questions that are going to trigger that kind of experiential sharing. You know, not to, we're not looking for doctrine, we're looking for personal stories and real life experiences. Um, again, the the handbook gives us 10 themes, and those themes are ways of kind of, by means of triggers for particular questions that you might bring to particular groups. You know, and it's up to each of us as a diocese to look at those questions and say, well, from that, what suits our purposes? What suits our people, uh, the people we're, we're gathering together? But those 10 themes give us an insight into the facets, the different facets of synodality. Uh, and, and the breadth of our exploration. So I'm not going to um, linger too long on them, but it gives me an opportunity to, to thank Patricia O'Carroll and the team, and, and Patricia is the fourth person who I couldn't remember uh, earlier on from the Dublin Diocese. But they have, um, in Dublin, they have a, 
um, a series of videos on a de dedicated page on their website, and the web page site is called Simply Synod. And on the Simply Synod uh, page, you'll find a short video that unpacks these 10 themes in very accessible ways coming from the, um, coming from the, the, the handbook itself. But really, I suppose the things that are being uh, asked about in how we are journeying together, the first question is, well, who are we journeying with? Who are the companions on the journey? Uh, who are the people that are on the outside? Who are the people that we've forgotten about and need to draw in again? Um, what's it like to be, uh, you know, where you, are, where you find yourself on the road, uh, in or out? You know, what's that experience like? When did you feel most included? Uh, also, as a listening church, um, how is God speaking to us through the voices that up to this we've ignored? Um, how are we listening to one another? How are we listening to women, to young people? What helps or hinders our listening? How do we listen to those on the margins? You know, a, a church that journeys together consciously seeks to listen to one another. Uh, and alongside listening, we need to be able to speak out. We need to be able to speak out with courage, with boldness, in charity, in freedom, in truth. So what helps us, you know, in our own local parish, what helps us to speak out in love? What stops us? What prevents us? When and how do we manage to say the important things, the import, what's important to us uh, in, our, in our church family? Who speaks on behalf of the Christian community and how are they chosen? In a church that journeys together in announcing the gospel, we have to be attentive to the gospel, attentive to the spirit, attentive to scripture. And in our celebrations of liturgy, that's when we come together to God, to listen to the word of God, to be nourished by the presence of God in our celebrations. So celebrating, how we celebrate as the people of God is, is really important. Walking together is only possible if we bring our attention to the word of God and to the celebration of Eucharist. So how do our liturgies inspire our most important decisions? How do we promote the participation? Do you remember that word from the logo? How do we par uh, promote the participation of all the people in our liturgies, the active participation? As the baptized, we all share a responsibility for the mission of the church. We mightn't do it in the same way, but we all have a role to play. How do we encourage one another to take on our mission? How do we, um, how do we I suppose, draw out people's, uh, people as missionary disciples? Again, we aren't a hidden church. We aren't a church on retreat. How do we dialogue with society? How do we reach out to the economic, social uh, context in which we live? How do we bring our voice as a church to that? How do we travel with our fellow Christians? How do we journey with our other faith traditions? In our own local places, where are our structures for sharing uh, authority and participation? Where are our structures for discerning and deciding? You know, how are we supporting our parish pastoral councils? How are we supporting our parish finance committees? Are there other ways that we can bring people's voices to what is happening in the church, in our own local church? And how are we shaping ourselves to journey together? 
So there's lots of different questions there, but every diocese will take these questions and apply them in their own language system uh, to particular focus groups or to a general questionnaire. So, for example, Armagh Diocese are already underway with a, a, an online questionnaire and in-person gatherings, I, I think, will be taking place as well. And so when they looked at those 10 themes, they looked at, you know, again, the question for them is what life is like in the church at this moment in time? And so the questions they have for the people are just four very straightforward questions. What memory or experience of the Catholic Church do you value or cherish most in your life? Let's bring that, tap into that positive experience. But then how can our church be a welcoming and inclusive community? Bring everybody's wisdom into that. Bring everybody's experience in, into answering that question. How can we be listened to more effectively and encouraged to participate in decision-making processes in the church? Okay, going to deeper uh, questions there. And what inspires you in the life of your parish community to bring the love of Christ into the world? And how, how are we being missionary? But what puts you off? What discourages you? So that's just by, by way of example. Again, we need to listen with humility and speak with courage. And we need to be open to the promptings of the Spirit with that, to let go of having the ready-made answers, to be open as a church to change. So all these attitudes here will help us in our local conversations. And I'll just, you know, just give you a moment to look at them, but we, we won't have time now to, to move through them. But just say, we do, you know, we just, we can't blindly go into our conversations. We need to be ready to enter into them into a discerning uh, pattern, a pattern that lets ourselves be open to the promptings of the Spirit. So really, again, what we've explored here is the, the notion that the Synod is an opportunity to practice the habit of journeying together. We looked very briefly at the timeline and the weaving of the two synodal processes and how you know, the universal process is that foundation uh, for what we're about in the Irish Church. And we looked at what's in place uh, as regards the, the steering committee and task group and the delegates, uh, a roadmap for the diocese, and then who it's hoped will participate in the listening phase everybody, especially those on the margins, uh, and how this listening might take place, the different forum, and the key questions to be asked. Again, it's an opportunity to ground ourselves in an experience of being synodal. And the question we might have is, why is that important? And I'm going to leave that to Father Eamon to answer next week. Thank you. So a piece of music to play out this part of the podcast this week is sung by Liam Lawton and it's entitled If You Listen. So come back and join us again in part three where we'll read and reflect on the Word of God. Like you're lost at sea 
and you're helpless and your heart's not free just keep searching for your soul's desire and you will find it if you reach inside if you listen Welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. Uh, my name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane. 
And again, thanks to for, uh, to Julia Kavanagh for presenting that talk to us on synodality in part two of the program. We've just got one more left and we'll play it again next week. So this is the part of the program where we read and reflect on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel. And before that, we'll ask Shane to share this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your Word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. May we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today, Shane said, is taken from the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time from the Gospel of St. Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, I say this to you who are listening. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who treat you badly. To the man who slaps you on one cheek, present the other cheek too. To the man who takes your cloak from you, do not refuse your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you and do not ask for your property back from the man who robs you. Treat others as you would like them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what thanks can you expect? Even even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do love who do good to you, what thanks can you expect? Even sinners do as much. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what thanks can you expect? Even sinners lend to the sinners to get back the same amount. Instead, love your enemies and do good and lend without any hope of return. You will have a great reward and you'll be sons of the Most High for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be, be, be compassionate as your, father, and your, as your father is compassionate. Do not judge and you'll not be judged yourselves. Do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned yourself. Grant pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and there will be gifts for you. A full measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. Because the amount you measure out is the amount you'll be given back. That's the Gospel for this week, the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time. Tell you what, Shane, if you can do half as much of those things, we'll be, we'll be doing well if we can do one of them. Anyway, what do you think? Um, <laughs> so the deal with Jack and I come home. <laughs> yeah, so um, this week's gospel, I think it's fair to say um, it's, it's, it's a continuation on from um, the previous gospels we've had from, from the last two weeks. And last week's, of course, was the Beatitudes. So it's very much Jesus giving um, giving a talk, giving his teaching to his disciples. And Luke is presenting to it to us in this in this whole context. So it's it's a continuous discourse um, that's 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 been given. Obviously, 
I think the fairest thing to say with this one is um, the challenge that it's put in before us. Um, it's, uh, this is Luke's account of what we call the golden rule. You know, um, and I suppose for me, one of the things that served me was that first line. I say to this to you who are listening, and that's one of the key things, I suppose, that we have to ask ourselves, particularly when we're doing Lexio, is how well we listen. Uh, listen in terms of listening to how the Spirit is speaking to us and what is coming across to us from our reflections on Scripture. Because one of the points we make again and again on the program is, of course, from a faith perspective, we believe that scripture is not something that was just written 2,000 years ago, but it's something that still speaks to us, each, each and every one of us in the present time. And it's, you know, the first, it's there, like, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who treat you badly. So in some respects, it's a, re, it's a reiteration, almost, of the Beatitudes um, that, we, that we heard last week. But at the same time, then, it's, you know, putting it up to us as disciples, what is expected of us. And I think most people would kind of go, oh, wow, this is only for the saints. Uh, that's the problem. We are all sinners who are called to be saints by virtue of our baptism. So actually, the well, not the instruction, but this, yeah, this instruction that's in, that Jesus is putting out there for us in this week's gospel applies to each and, and every one of us. Not exactly the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, you know, to the man who slaps you on one cheek, present the other. To the one who gives your, who takes your cloak, do not refuse your tunic. And, you know, it's, it's, if you think about those and you go down through those and you're reflecting on it and trying to unpack each and each and one of those, um, it becomes slightly difficult. You know, do good to those who hate you or to the man who slaps you on one cheek, present the other. And for me, actually, those two lines were very much speaking to that general anger that's out there at the moment after COVID. There seems to be a lot of built-up frustration. Um, you notice that particularly on the radio, I don't know about anybody else, but I, I noticed particularly on the radio, there's almost like a, a viciousness in terms of how people want to bring others down. Um, obviously, you see it in, in social media, particularly sewer that is Twitter or, or, or so on and so forth. Um, and just the way that, you know, the mob is, is out and, and moves across the topics that come up. Um, and I suppose it's, it's that challenge that's presented for us in terms of pray for those who treat you badly. In terms of, you know, it's not easy sometimes to accept vilification. It's not easy to just stand back and take something, particularly when it's 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 maybe not 100% true. Um, but I suppose the challenges for us there is what Jesus is saying is patience, because the truth will out. Um, you know, it's like treat them, treat others as you would like them to treat you. You know, that's Luke's very much his summation of what Jesus is trying to say. And it's, you know, it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world to do. Like Jesus makes the point, you know, even sinners, you know, if you, if you, if you love those who love you, well, why does that make you different from anyone else? Christians are called to be more 
uh, witnesses to God's love in the community, which is even being witnesses to that love for those who we would rather not uh, extend it out. And I suppose the other side of it is, you know, why we would do this. You know, Jesus is saying, you will have a great reward and you will be sons of the daughters of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be compassionate as your father is compassionate. Do not judge and you will not be judged yourselves. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. You know, give and there will be gifts for you, a full measure. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, John, it's in one sense, the gospel this week is very much, it's very much plain speaking. Luke, Luke is not like John, which is sometimes convoluted and complicated. It's short, pity, to the point, uh, sayings of Jesus, which, which Luke records in his gospel. The problem is, of course, that in some respects they're too familiar. So we would need to sit and unpack each and one of them. Like you could do a whole lexio on just each, each sentence of that gospel that we have this week. Not exactly the easiest thing to do, in, you know, in the time scale that we have. But in terms of just reflecting on it, I suppose it's asking us the question, asking us the question, you know, where are we being asked to be compassionate? You know, where are we being asked to be witnesses to love, uh, to very much love generously, to be concerned about the welfare of others, and to be gracious and not to respond with violence against violence, be that physical violence or any other violence as well. So and there were just a couple of thoughts for this week's gospel. Shane, thank you very much, Nick, for that. Yeah, I, I, it was certainly challenging, uh, and um, I also like that first uh, that first line that you mentioned yourself in the gospel today. Um, I say this to you, says Jesus, who are listening, and that's meant. To, that's a little kind of red flag for myself. Listen, fella, uh, there's something important going to be said here. For my reflection, I wasn't sure where to go when I was home and how with it all over the place. And as usual, I went online to see what sorts I might be able to, something that might be able to sit with me. I came across this um, this website, Catholic Daily Reflections. And there's something on there that I like that might help other people. And I'll just read out what I, what I picked up there. Of course, this is not an easy command from the Lord, but a command of love. First, he calls us to love our enemies. Who are our enemies? Hopefully we do not have enemies in the sense of those who we have willfully chosen to hate. But we may have uh, people in our lives who we are tempted to have anger towards and who have a difficult time loving. Perhaps we can, sit, we can consider anyone we struggle with as our enemies. To love them does not necessarily mean we must become their best friends with them, but it does mean we must work towards having a true affection of care concern, understanding, and forgiveness towards them. The second part of this command today might be of help to us. Praying for those who persecute us will help us to grow in proper love and affection. Think about those whom you have a, a very difficult time loving, those to whom you have anger. It could be a family member, someone at work, a neighbour, or someone in the past who was, we've, we've never really reconciled with. It's in keeping with this week's gospel passage to honestly admit that there is somebody within our lives, perhaps more than one person, 
with whom we struggle with externally and internally. Admitting this is, admitting this is simply an act of honesty. Once we identify this person or persons, think about whether we should pray for them. Do you spend time regularly offering them in, to God in prayer? Do you pray that God pours forth his, his mercy and, and grace on them? This may be hard to do, but it's one of the healthiest acts you can do. It may be d- difficult to show love and affection towards them, but it's not hard to consciously choose to pray for them. That part of that reflection got me today. I mean, do I really offer prayer? Do I really pray for these people who I find it hard to live with? I'm sure those people in my own life who find it hard to live with me, hopefully they'll pray for me that I might cut myself on one of these days. And it just finishes with a little prayer here, and I just finish up with this, and it says, Lord, I pray for the person for whom you want me to pray. I'll read this again. Lord, I pray for the person for whom you want me to pray. Help me to love all people and help and help me to especially love those who are hard to love. Reorder my feelings towards them and help me to be free from any anger. Jesus, I trust in you. And I think that's the bottom line. We can't do it by ourselves. We need we need a higher power. And of course, we know, uh, as we often mention here and on the programme on our next show, that we can't do it by ourselves. As I said, we need God. We need Jesus to give us a hand. So that brings us to the end of our podcast for today. Thanks, Shane, for, for sharing the podcast with me today. Uh, no problem, John. And we're going with a final piece of music. This one is by Leonard Cohen, and this one is entitled Come Healing. So join us again next week where we'll listen again to Father Eamon Conway as he uh, gives us the final talk on this synodality series. This one is entitled Synodality, Why Does It Matter? So next week for myself and Shane, thanks again for joining us. Take care, enjoy the week, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye now. Bye. Teaching to the broken 
Come healing of the limb. 